0: Has your life ever been changed by an act of generosity? I know when I think back to my life, there's certain times where generosity of someone else towards me and my family had just an astounding impact. I remember years ago when my wife Kristen was in grad school and it was a very demanding program for her. And there were just a few people who got in and she was one of the select few. And after the first semester where she had both been a student full-time and working, it just became obvious that, that she needed to stop working to focus on her time in school. And we weren't sure financially how we were going to be able to afford it. And so we were starting to explore what it would look like to take out loans or the other options that we had. When my wife received an email from a professor that said at the end of their first semester, the professors had gotten together and talked and they had decided to offer to Kristen a full ride scholarship for the remainder of her time in grad school. Now, let me tell you, this is not something that she had applied for. This is not something that we even knew existed, but they out of the generosity of their hearts wanted to offer it towards her as a reward for the work that she had been doing. And I tell you what, that changed our lives, right? It was, it was amazing that simple act that they had, how, how transformative it was for us and for our finances and even for our future. See, generosity can change people and it can change not just the one who receives it, but generosity can also change those who are those who give it as well. And tonight we're going to look as we continue in our series through Malachi of what the Bible has to say about generosity and yes, specifically generosity when it comes to money. See, the accusation that, that goes towards God's people in this passage in Malachi chapter three tonight is that they have robbed God. They have robbed God. God. And if you have just found us online, if this is your first night or one of your first weeks tuning into Moody Church and you're like, man, I told you all churches care about is money. Well, no, it's not. And as Roxana just said, we we don't want your money. If you're visiting or you're a guest, please, there's no obligation for you to give. And if that's your feeling towards how churches talk about money, I would just encourage you to listen because maybe you've been told something wrong. Maybe the things that you've heard aren't what God's word actually teaches when it comes to how people should view money in their lives. And so tonight, as we look at our text, we're gonna see three motivations to generosity. Three reasons why those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ should be motivated to live generous lives with all that we have, including the financial resources that God has given us. So, our passage tonight is Malachi chapter 3, starting at verse 6. It says this For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. The first motivation to generosity is the generosity of God. The first motivation that that we see in this text of why we should be generous people is the generosity of God towards us. This text says, as it starts off, that I have not changed. So, So who is this God of scripture? Who is the God of the Bible who has not changed? When you look through, major themes flow through of the character of God throughout scripture. He's a God who is a faithful God. He is a God who is gracious towards his people. A phrase often repeated in scriptures that God is slow to anger and abounding in love, overflowing, if you will, with love towards his people. And he's saying that character, who I am, my essence has not changed. I am still that God who's faithful, who's gracious, who's overflowing in love. But then he says, verse seven, that from the days of your father, so this is, this is not a new pattern, right? What, what we see in Malachi is not an aberration in Israel's history. It's not like they have thousands of years of perfect faithfulness to God and just recently have they struggled. God's saying, now I look back at your history all along and you've struggled in following after me. He says, you have turned aside from me but he says, I don't change. And this is an astounding offer of grace and mercy to those who are undeserving. See, God is saying, listen, even though throughout your history, you've abandoned me, you've walked away from me, I don't change. And I am still overflowing with love. I am still generous in my grace, my mercy towards you. Have you ever given someone help and they totally wasted it. Like you you went above and beyond what you would normally do for someone to really try and help them, and they just wasted whatever you did for them. Maybe you saw someone who was struggling financially and was in need, so you took them in and you, you helped house them, rent free for a period of time so they could get their finances in order just to see them continue to spend money unwisely, to not get things straightened up. Maybe you've seen someone who is financially in need. And so out of the generosity of your heart, you gave something to them, hoping that it would meet the need that they have. And they took your gift and they just wasted it and didn't actually use it for the intended purpose that you gave it to them for. Maybe you use a relationship that you had. Someone needed a job or something and you, and you made a connection for them and they totally just blew the opportunity. They didn't show up. They wasted the things that you had done towards them. What is your natural reaction to someone when they do that? If they do it once, maybe it's like, ah, man, that, that, that's hurt, but we'll, we'll keep trying. But if you love that person, you'll try again. But, but there comes a point for us, right, of just exasperation where we just give up. Well, like, you're not getting anything else from me because, man, you just keep wasting it. You're not doing with it what I think you should. Now, there is some wisdom, right? We don't want to enable people towards bad behavior. That's not what I'm arguing. But our natural inclination is to cut people off, to stop being generous if we don't feel like they are using it well. How thankful are you that that's not how God treats us? He doesn't look at us and be like, Man, I gave you forgiveness. I gave you grace. I gave you mercy. And then you went and did this. No more. No more. That's the crossing point. My generosity of love has stopped towards you. No, that is not how God treats us. See, these people had continually rebelled. They had continually, from the days of their fathers, turned aside and not followed God's commands but his heart was still generous towards them. The heart of God is continually overflowing in grace, mercy, and love towards his people. We serve a generous God. The generosity of God is the grounds for the generosity of his people. As we understand the heart of God, that he overflows in love for us, it should cause generosity to rise up from within us as a response to who he is. The generous love, the generous grace that pours from him. Passage continues in verse 7, the second part of verse 7. It says this, return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Return to me is language of repentance. It's a, a phrase used throughout, especially the prophets, of come back to me, repent of what you've done wrong. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will, my, will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you in our tithes and contributions? You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. See, he says to return to me. And then he says this shocking phrase, and I will return to you. And so, so we have to ask, has God left them? He's saying, come back to me, repent, return to me, and then I will return to you. Has God somehow left them? But look at Deuteronomy chapter 31, where it talks about this is throughout the the promises that are given to the people in Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy, that if they don't follow God's covenant and commands, there are consequences to them. Deuteronomy 31 verse 16 says this, they will forsake me, this is looking to the future, and break my covenant that I have made with them, Then my anger will be kindled against them in that day and I will forsake them and hide my face from them and they will be devoured. See God's presence that brought to his people blessing and prosperity would be removed from them. It was a sign of covenant disobedience that God would remove his blessing of presence from them. It didn't mean that God was no longer omnipresent and everywhere But his special blessing for his people would be withdrawn if they continually rebelled against him. And so the people cry out in verse 7, how will we return? What does repentance look like? What are we supposed to do? And shockingly, it says, the response is this, will you rob God? What will you rob God? He says, but but you are robbing me. And they say, how have we robbed God? He says, in your tithes and contributions, they had not been generous. They had not given of their resources what God had commanded them. See, it's clear here from the text and from this whole book of Malachi, where we just came off, if you look back in your Bible, in chapter 3, verse 5, this whole list of sins that was guilty of the people, that tithing is not the only thing that they had missed right? There was all sorts of wickedness, improper worship that were true of the people. So God highlights tithing here and he highlights it because tithing is not all that they were to do, but it's a front example of a life surrendered to God. And so he accuses them of robbing him. And because of that, we see here that the covenantal curses rather than blessings are being brought down upon the people. So the second motivation, the second motivation to generosity is this, is it's all his anyways. All that we have really is God's anyways. This is why the prophet uses the phrases that you have robbed God. He doesn't say you haven't given to God what is yours. He's saying you've taken from God what is his. The language there is intentional. See, I remember when I had just, was just about to start grad school that my apartment had gotten broken into and my computer was stolen. I had been robbed in my apartment. See, that was wrong because I had purchased that. That, that belonged to me. I had done that and they took something that rightfully belonged to me. The people are being accused that they have taken what rightfully belongs to God. See, from a biblical worldview, a Christian perspective, all that we have, including all the money we have, belongs to God. Psalm chapter 24, verse 1 says this, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. Other passages talk about how he owns the cattle on the thousand hills. He owns the wealth everywhere. It all belongs to God. And so when it comes to finances and giving, so often the question that we have is this, well, why should I give God some of my money? Why should I give God some of my hard earned money? I sweat, I work hard, I go to work, I I do all this stuff. Why should I give God some of my money? This is the wrong question. See, you don't own anything. You simply steward what God has given to you. See, the better question is, how can I use what God has given me to bless others? How can I use what God has entrusted to me that's his to best serve his purposes? See, I don't know about you, but this mindset of shift in thinking that something belongs to me versus it belongs to someone else and I am entrusted with it is a powerful thing. It changes how we think about and how we act, how we treat it. For instance, when I often travel, a lot of my family lives away from Chicago. And so when I fly there with my family to visit, they're often very generous in that they let me use a car while I'm there. So I don't need to rent one. So they'll let me use one of their cars while I am there. Now, I typically don't treat my car super bad. I try and keep it relatively clean. But I'll tell you what when I am using someone else's car, when I'm using one of my parents' cars, when I am done with it, I want to make sure that it is full of gas. There is not a speck of trash to be found in it. I will try and get it washed at a car wash before I return it. Why? Because it's not my car. They were generous in giving it to me and I want to make sure to treat it, right? With respect, I want to return it in a good condition. I want to be wise with how I have used it. Whereas when it's my car, I'm like, well, it might snow in another week or two so we don't need to run it through the car wash just yet because it'll just get dirty again, right? Or just leave the trash in the door. No, I don't do this though when it's someone else's car. See, we need to shift our thinking and start to realize that everything we have is not our own, but it's God's that he has entrusted to us. The question, why should I give God some of my money is the wrong question to ask because it's not your money. It's what God has entrusted to you. So we need to stop, stop treating this as just our own as our finances for us to do with what as we please. And as we start to realize that every single thing that you have been given, your time, your talent, and your money is not your own. It's a gift from God for you to use. It should transform how we think. And we should be generous because it's not our money. It's God's. Everything we have, God has entrusted. He has given to us. And so Malachi calls out that they would stop robbing God, bring the full tithe in. Then he continues in verse 10, says this, and thereby, thereby, excuse me, put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. There, excuse me, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil. So your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. The third motivation to generosity is this, that generosity reveals our hearts. Generosity, and you could just think here of, of how we handle our money, it reveals our hearts. It, it reveals what we value and what we hold on to, what we look to for worth in this world. So I want us to think here as, as we have come through this passage, it, just a few questions tonight as we think about this. Is, is tithing that is talked about here, giving a 10% of what you have, is this required for us as followers of Jesus today? Is this a command that's true for us to follow? They were in their covenant and the new covenant that God has made with us through Jesus Christ is a tithe required. Well, 2 Corinthians 9 says this, The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So the command to tithe is not repeated, it's not specifically given to those who are in the new covenant, who are in relationship with Jesus. However, a tithe can be a helpful benchmark. And so if you want to tithe as that's your benchmark for your giving, that is a great thing to do. That is much higher than the average person who gives about two to 3% of their wealth away each year, just two to 3%. And so if if tithing is not commanded to us in the New Testament, what principles should we have when it comes to giving? Because tithing was commanded for them. So, so what should we think about when it comes to our lives and giving as Christians? A few things. First, that we should give regularly. Regularly, not just when you feel like it. right? Not just when you get a bonus. Not when your tax returns come in. Then we're going to give. But we should give regularly. Make it a regular pattern of your worship to God. That we should give sacrificially. Not just, oh, hey, listen, I think I could spare this much and then nothing else in my life will change. But maybe that we would give up certain things to prioritize being generous towards God, to being generous towards his people. Third, that we would give proportionally. So we give regularly, we give sacrificially, but we give proportionally. It says in that verse that we read, give as God has as decided in your heart, as God has blessed you that you should so give. See, the reality is for a lot of us, maybe 10% is a great number to get to. That is a good goal. But for a lot of us, 10% hardly affects our income. Like we, we have been so blessed, so many people, that, that 10% should be a, a, the floor, not the ceiling, that we should be going above and beyond that in acts of generosity, I know of a man who years ago told me they made it a goal in their marriage every year starting at 10% to increase their giving by 1%. And they went all the way up till their kids got to college and they had to cut it back. But he said at one point they were up to giving away 30% of their income. And just in case you're wondering, they weren't wealthy as we would think of wealth. This isn't someone who has houses and big fancy cars. They made just an average living, but they wanted to be generous and proportional in their giving. A fourth thing that we should follow as Christians is to give joyfully. God doesn't want your money if you're just holding on to it and like, fine, I'll give you something, God. No, he wants you to give out of the joy of your heart as a response of worship to him. And lastly, as we've emphasized throughout this sermon tonight, that God wants us to give generously. He, he wants us to give out of the overflow of our hearts, just as he has been generous towards us to be generous towards other people. See, one could read this text that we've read tonight and then could say this. So, so if I give, as the people here were called to give in Malachi 3, does that guarantee financial prosperity? right? You see in verse 10, like, if you do this, put me to the test. Will I not open the windows of heaven and pour down a blessing for you until there is no need? So so what you're telling me is this, if I send you money, I'm gonna get more money back. That's how this works, right? No, no, that's not how this works. Verse 10, literally when talking about the windows of blessing opening is talking about rain coming from heaven, right? If you just look at the verses after it, talking about fruits and vines, they lived in an agricultural setting where that was a huge blessing, rain on their lives. And so that's literally what it's talking about is rain coming down on them. Also at the end of verse 10, what's talking about, I will pour down a blessing for you, that you there isn't like, hey, Joe sitting over there. Hey, Sally sitting over there. The you is the people of God. He's talking to the whole nation of Israel. It's you all will experience a blessing, not one individual person. And so if you encounter someone who says, yes, the Bible teaches, if you send me this money, you will get more back. God will have to now bless you because of what you have sent. Run from that, run from that, because that is not in the Bible and that is not at all what Jesus teaches So why is giving so important? Why is giving so important? It's because it reveals our hearts. That's why when thinking of the symptom of people living in an unrepentant life towards God, why does he pick their financial giving? Because money is a reflection of our hearts. How we handle our finances is so often reflection of what's going on inside. It says what we are seeking after to bring fulfillment. And what he's saying is this, a true repentance will involve more, yes, than just giving of your money. But it involves for those people such a life change that the, that the gospel truth of Jesus impacts their hearts and their lives so deeply that they would include even that area of their life in their repentance, in their coming back to Jesus. I love how this passage ends. what, What he's saying here when talking about how the nations will call you blessed, people will look at Israel and say, wow, is this, is that if they would return to God, if they would repent and turn truly to live after God, including their financial giving in that, what God has in store for them was something that they would never experience otherwise what he had in store for them was so much better than what they had in mind that they would do living lives for themselves. See, one of the biggest lies that we encounter today is this, that money can bring you happiness and fulfillment. We may say oftentimes in church that we worship Jesus, but our lives we worship all the time at the altar of materialism. The idol of stuff, of money, of things in our world is huge and it's huge in the church as well. Amazon announced this past week that its fourth quarter sale, so just the last three months of last year, they sold on their website 1255 billion dollars worth of stuff in three months 125 billion dollars worth of stuff and our pursuit of happiness and fulfillment in things in stuff has then often led to enslavement to try and get more so we'll borrow money we'll go into debt to get more things see our world is so obsessed with materialism tonight is the super bowl literally right now is the super bowl to take an ad out tonight during the Super Bowl, the average 30-second ad costs $5.6 million because they think they can get their product before your eyes and then they can get into your wallet. I think the, how so often the attitude of Americans, including those in the church, towards money today was summarized in a movie many years ago that says we buy things we don't need to, with money we don't have to impress people we don't even like. We buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't like. That's the mindset of our culture, to accumulate stuff, to accumulate wealth, to buy more things. More money means an increase in lifestyle, not an increase in generosity. Friends, our view of money should look different than the world's. Our view and how we handle our finances, if you're a follower of Jesus, it should look different than anyone else, than your family who doesn't follow Jesus, than your neighbors and your coworkers who don't. And and this passage ends with this, and I just wanna remind you of this tonight, that the happiness that money may bring pales in comparison to the joy of obedience to God. The happiness that money may momentarily bring pales in comparison with the joy of a life of obedience to God and generosity towards him and others. So I wanna challenge you tonight to be a generous person. God has been generous towards us. All that we have is his to begin with and it reveals what's going on in our hearts So be generous this week. So I want to encourage you, take whatever that next step is to be generous. Maybe you're someone who has never given your money to anyone or to anything. We'll start this week. Just give your money to someone, to something. If you're a Christian and you've never given money to a church, do it tonight. If Moody Church is your home church tonight for the first time, make a gift to Moody Church being generous towards them. That's your next step. If you give occasionally, make it a regular practice of your worship, not just once in a while when you have leftover, but do it regularly. If you do it regularly, what what does that next step look like? What could God do in your life so that you could increase and grow in generosity towards others? See, God just doesn't want your money. God wants your heart, but so often, our money reveals what's going on in our hearts. It's when we obey God with even our finances, it's a reflection of a life that's being more surrendered to Jesus in every single area. God, we do thank you for the generosity that you have shown towards us, that you are a God who does not change. God, I pray that as we see your heart that overflows towards us, that it would transform every area of our lives, including this area of money. God, that we would not be those who would be accused of robbing you, of holding on to our own things, of seeking fulfillment in our stuff rather than in our savior, Jesus Christ. God, for some of us, it's gonna be hard. It's gonna be ripping out idols in our lives. But God, would you raise in us a spirit of generosity, For you are a generous God. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.